Welcome to Manners and Madness. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we'll be doing chapters 10 through 12 of Northanger Abbey. Yes. And um, this is our first podcast that we're recording post global pandemic. <laughs> and <laughs> Social distancing. It's caused a lot of problems, but one thing that has blessed us with is now we were forced to figure out how to do this remotely. So we get to include Kristen in the call. <laughs> so welcome Kristen Smith to the podcast in real life. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, we've been happy to have you the last couple of um, episodes, but uh, I'm so glad we finally got you in person. Uh, Kristen is my cousin. <laughs> we've already established that, but um, <laughs> you want to introduce yourself and I guess you kind of did that on the last one, but do it again. Okay. <laughs> I'll do my best. Uh, my name is Kristen Smith. I live in San Jose, California, uh, with my husband and my two kids. I got my PhD in English literature from the University of Florida back in 2009. Haven't done much with it since, um, but... Hey, I've always loved Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun to get it. And uh, I've always loved Jane Austen. Um, well, for a long time anyway. And it's one of my favorite authors. And it's been really fun to to be reading Northanger Abbey again. It's always good for a laugh, right? Yes. Just yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're not in quarantine with John Thorpe. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I would have murdered him, I'm pretty sure. That that line. <laughs> pretty much. I would have risked contamination for that. <laughs> yep. uh, so yeah, we're all quarantined, staying safe, working from home. Yeah, but uh, we don't really want to talk about that here because <laughs> that's all anyone is talking about. We yeah. want to talk about Northanger Abbey. So why don't we do our first impressions? Christian, why don't you go first? <laughs> um, my first impression was when reading these chapters, I thought these weren't as funny as they were almost like infuriating. <laughs> because <laughs> main, mainly that one scene that we'll go over later with John Thorpe. But yeah. uh, it's the just felt like a, Yeah, <laughs> basically. Seriously. <laughs> um, it just felt like a lot of like conflict toward um, just everyone at <laughs> this point. <laughs> but mainly yeah. Catherine. Uh, yeah. Um, well, what about you, Kristen? Um, I think just similar to what Kristen said, um, I felt like I was going to roll my eyes out of my head over John <laughs> Thorpe. <laughs> and cannot tell the truth to save his life. So, yeah, he was he was crazy-making in these chapters. Yeah. Um, I particularly liked um, the dance after that when um, Tilney and her dance. I think that's, like, a great – I think we – my favorite part about these three chapters is that I think we get to see the inkling of Henry really falling for Catherine. You know, we've known mm -hmm. Catherine has fallen for him, but I think all of her flattery and her, you know, just – natural exuberance i think he really likes her a lot and i think you can tell he gets really you know put off that she kind of like disses him a little bit and or perceives that she has 
And then soon as she's like, no, he's like, okay, I'm going to sit with you the rest of the time. So, <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> Okay, so this week, um, ouch. Okay. yeah, this week I did my notes on Bat because okay. so much of it has taken place there. I figured we could get to know a little bit more about the city itself. So, um, it's a it's an English settlement, obviously, dates back to the Romans, um, and it was a, one of three like big hot springs that were bathing areas back then for the Romans. Um, and the Romans were very big into bathing centers, obviously. Um, they made that a center for entertainment and also sites of worship. Okay, so <laughs> during the Middle Ages, it was a center for wool production and milling, an important center for that. Um, its association with wool was featured in the Canterbury Tales, but the baths, the actual baths, were very poorly maintained at that time. <laughs> <laughs> we just assume it's hard to maintain a bath well at that time yeah <laughs> they got all the sheep in there um, <laughs> so in the 1720s um it was like in pretty big disrepair but over the next few decades it got turned into a vibrant spa town and cassandra jane's mother was actually born there i believe or was from there um she also met and married um jane's father there so, um, Jane Austen herself visited Bath in 1797 for the first time with her mother. <laughs> what was that? Uh, that was Mabel. She's snoring. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cover her with a blanket. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> well, that's we'll kind of how she prefers to Let everyone know that's Mabel. Um, can I tell you she again? Uh, a Boston Terrier. Boston Terrier. She snores. She's so cute, though. Um. I don't know where it was. <laughs> she married her father. Okay. So, oh yeah, she visited there for the first time with her mother. They stayed there for a month. And while there, she may have had a connection with an English politician and abolitionist, William Wilberforce, because he was getting married to Barbara Ann Spooner. And, at, and it was in the same area where Jane and her mom were staying at the time. And she definitely knew one of Barbara's bridesmaids. Elizabeth Lewingston <laughs> because she was the daughter of a 60-year-old widow who Jane knew who left her and her sister 50 pounds on her death. So might have been there for a wedding. <laughs> That's what the historical record shows. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, what were you saying? Did you have something? No, Chris? I just almost dropped my phone. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I can't look at the screen and these notes, so I feel like I'm missing what you're saying. <laughs> Okay, so in two years later, in 1799, she made a second visit. She wrote to her sister saying that the weather upon their arrival was just as rainy and gloomy as the last time she was there. <laughs> <laughs> she also wrote that she wouldn't starve because they had public breakfast offered every day at Sydney Gardens. <laughs> oh, wow. And she yeah. also saw some fireworks at Sydney Gardens. <laughs> and on that visit, she was... She went to the theater, the pump room, with her uncle, who suffered from gout. And she said, I've never seen an old woman at the pump room. <laughs> so, <laughs> apparently. Only the men that get gout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they go to take the waters. And it was probably um, during and between these two trips that she was writing Northanger Abbey. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so in 1801, her father, George, um, his health started to go down, and her mother wanted to move to Bath for his health and hers, I think, as well. And probably to try to find husbands for the girls. Um, uh, it was interesting to note that the majority of eligible young men at the time would have been in the army or navy. So that, you know, adds a little to like Pride and Prejudice. There's always oh, yeah. army men and navy men running around. Her father, since he was a clergyman, was probably invited to preach in Bath because all the visiting um, clergymen usually were. And he died suddenly in 1805, so like four years after they moved there, and then his salary stopped. So Jane's brothers did what they could to help the women out financially, but um, so they weren't like impoverished, but they did have to keep moving to like increasingly cheaper parts of town until they ended up in this one area that her mom, when they first moved in, was like, well, at least we're not in that area. And that's basically where they ended up in the end. Um, so when they... Okay, when she first moved there, she had no say, obviously, and whether she <laughs> wanted to move there. Um, and infamously, she fainted when she was told that they were going to move And this, coupled with some of her character's feelings about Bath, have made people assume that she didn't like Bath at all and was depressed mm -hmm. during her time there. But this has also been refuted. So while she lived there, the theater was at its peak, and she attended whenever possible. And she also really enjoyed the public circulating library, which was um, new and very popular. And she went on a lot of walks um, around the area. It was supposed to be really beautiful and went to a lot of public assemblies. So she might have actually really enjoyed her time there. It's hard to say <laughs> because, obviously, <laughs> I had this realization while I was doing research this time that it's kind of like this realization I had after I got out of high school because I went for theater. And, um, you know, after I got older, I became one of the, like, judges for thespians and stuff like that. And I was looking around at my fellow judges and thinking, oh, experts aren't really <laughs> experts. <laughs> experts. <laughs> so I kind of had that realization with Jane Austen, like, yeah, there's a lot of experts, but they're bringing their own stuff to it. So it's hard to say what is real. And what is, you know, just <laughs> supposition. Um, anyway, <laughs> tangent. Okay. <laughs> okay, so also it's interesting to note that in Northanger Abbey, Bath is depicted as more of like a social spa town, while in Persuasion, it seemed like more dreary and more like a health resort for older people. Um, and oh, I did read a, like a travel, a Jane Austen travel review that pointed out that because of its geographical location, it traps all the smells of the town because it's like <laughs> in a valley. <laughs> and um, yeah. <laughs> and also it would have been, um, it had seasons. So people would come at certain times of year. So her living there year round would have been, I guess, kind of like living in a college town where it's like, there's lots of people yeah. there. And then suddenly there's no one as a ghost town. I always like it when it's a ghost town, though, <laughs> when I listen to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. And now it's time. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to say? <laughs> I feel like it's no, so much harder to hear what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I know you're you. Okay, no, well, let's, really. let's get into the recap then. We 
start with chapter 10. And the whole gang is going to the theater. (laughs) (laughs) Isabella and Catherine sit together. And Isabella has to spill everything she's wanted to tell her for days. Mm -hmm. She's like Mm -hmm. flattering her hair and encouraging her over Mr. Tilney. And she's like, I must see him. (laughs) (laughs) But he's not there, unfortunately. Isabella is talking about um, how much her and James's opinions are exactly alike. And she implies that Catherine is a lot more sly and knowing than she really is. And Catherine is like, no, I'm not. (laughs) 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 But Isabella is just really looking for encouragement from her over her and James. And Catherine is like... Yeah. I thought it was funny. She said, uh, she's like, you're sly. And then she says, I know you better than you know yourself. I like, <laughs> yeah. I really don't know her at all. Sly is like <laughs> Not at all. the opposite. <laughs> yeah. She actually is. Catherine's like, I would never say something droll, even if I knew how to. <laughs> 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 yeah. And then Isabella just talks about James the rest of the night. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Business as usual. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, it's like since James has gotten there, Isabella has not thought of anything except for that. And it's the only thing she talks about. She doesn't care about anyone else. It's just her and James. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next day, Catherine is excited to go to the pump room and finally, hopefully, meet Mrs. Til- Miss Tilney. I was going to call her Mrs. Tilney. Miss Tilney again. And um, Mrs. Allen and Catherine. Uh, they look around for a while. Then James and Isabella come in, and Catherine takes her normal place right by Isabella's side. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god, I lost the place. Oh yeah, she. Oh yeah, she regrets it immediately <laughs> because James and Isabella are so interested in each other that they barely notice her. Um, and while they're whispering and laughing at each other, she ditches them when she finally sees <laughs> Miss Tilney. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> So Miss Tilney and her talk to each other about the usual stuff, but, um, you know, like honestly and without conceit, which is yeah. uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jane says that. Does she say it's rather uncommon? <laughs> <laughs> um, Catherine compliments Henry's dancing. And I think this is the first time we actually learned that his name is Henry. I was noticing that in a footnote. Um, yeah, so she's talking about how great he dances, and of course, um, Miss Tilney just sees right through that and is like super <laughs> amused and is like, Oh, you have a crush on my brother, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. That means it's like she actually does realize what, what's going on with Catherine. Like they just met, but she understands Catherine better than Isabella does. Oh, yes. <laughs> Funny. Catherine has no idea. She's like, revealing all in every word she says <laughs> she's so used to being around people who are so like self-absorbed that <laughs> she can hide easily yeah and yeah i mean she's never had anyone really except for probably at home maybe well maybe not even there but like you know know her deepest desires you can tell by a look maybe her sister but i think they made a point about how they weren't that close <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, they're all going to the Cotillion Ball tomorrow, so that's exciting. So back at home, Catherine is thinking about what she's going to wear tomorrow. (laughs) It keeps her up a whole ten minutes before she falls asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then the narrator is telling us, if only young ladies knew that 
as they contemplated all their wardrobe choices, how little most men noticed or cared what they were wearing. <laughs> or other women, for that matter. <laughs> okay, so they're at the cotillion, and she really wants Tilney to ask her to dance, but she can't bring herself to expect it. <laughs> so silly. Yeah, and she's like running around trying to avoid John Thorpe all night. <laughs> relatable, relatable. She's like, hot duck yeah. behind pants. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Isabel and James are just dancing fools and they can't stop dancing with each other and she's trying not to look at Thorpe <laughs> when <laughs> out of nowhere Tilney comes up and asks her to dance <laughs> Same. Same. which I think proves that okay this is my theory him and his sister were talking and she was like Catherine so has a crush on you and so as soon as he got there he went straight up to her and asked her to dance like <laughs> I think he's already like oh really I like it <laughs> <laughs> he's like think of <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's so hard to read my notes on this tiny phone. Okay, so, she, oh yeah, so he asked her to dance, and she didn't believe that life could supply any greater felicity. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as they find a spot on the dance floor, stupid Thorpe comes up and complains <laughs> that he had asked Ka that he had asked Catherine to dance, and she's like, "No, you didn't." <laughs> <laughs> and he's super obnoxious about it. Uh, he's afraid his friends will quiz him about it more quizzing i swear i keep meaning to do quizzing as like a deep dive <laughs> a and deep i dive. still have it <laughs> she says i doubt your friends would think twice about me honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he like makes up this whole story it's not just that he says no i did ask you no i did ask you but he's like got this whole thing about how he asked you asked her on monday and they're waiting in the lobby for the for her cloak and like making up yeah. all this extra stuff yeah, to make it, I guess it's like it a way what? of liars to like make it seem more believable. Like, I'm going to add all these details, even though yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's probably like, we weren't even there that day. <laughs> just screaming, believe me, and it's like, I'm, not, I'm never going to believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually he's like, you think he wants to buy a horse? <laughs> <laughs> His obsession with horses. <laughs> I wrote, shut up, Thorpe. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, Mr. Tilney is getting a bit annoyed by him as well uh, for interrupting. They are in a mutual dancing contract, after all. <laughs> <laughs> that part made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, he goes on about contracts. and <laughs> she She's, like, guilelessly pointing out that a marriage contract is a lot different than a dancing contract. <laughs> because at the end of the dance, you're not expected to keep house together. <laughs> <laughs> And Tilney is definitely amused by her at this point. He's like <laughs> so delighted with her innocence. <laughs> She's so funny. Her picture of marriage is um, people that marry can never part but must go and keep house together. <laughs> like, like a little kid. You can't ever see other friends be together. <laughs> the quintessential teenager. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what she knows. The Allens are always exactly. together, and her parents are always together. <laughs> that's true. Let's see. Um, Tilney, yeah, he's he says that in both that they're similar though, because in both the man has the power of choice, and the woman only the power of refusal. And he says that in a marriage, it's a man's job to take care of a wife, and a woman's to make the home comfortable for the husband. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> he is to purvey and she is to smile <laughs> and, but in dancing it's the opposite what does he say why why it's opposite 
Do you have that? Um, she says, uh, in dancing, their duties are exactly changed. The agreeableness, the compliance are expected from him, while she furnishes the fan and the lavender water. <laughs> so I guess if the guy gets hot, the, the woman can yeah. fan him with her fan. He's there <laughs> to care. look pretty, and she's there to make sure everything goes right. <laughs> to take yeah. care. Um, which is funny, because, well, I guess, I guess those dances didn't really have, like, a lead. Like, it wasn't, like, a man leads and the woman follows. Yeah. Because they're all planned out the steps, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It almost sounds like he, um, so he starts off, so the way I imagine Henry Tilney is, he's very smart and he knows he's really smart and he thinks he's cute because he's really smart. And so, like, he likes to <laughs> say things that, like, amuse himself. And so he kind of gets into this idea that dancing is like marriage. And he kind of keeps it going for a while. And then you get to that part where she's like, no, it's, it's not the same. And he's like, okay, it's, it's opposite. And it's almost like he runs out and then comes up with the most absurd thing to say that their duties are exactly changed. And then he's like, I guess that's what you were thinking, right? And she's like, no, I never thought of that. And he's like, well, <laughs> that's the only reason I could think how they're not the same. And so he just kind of runs out of his idea. But he clearly has fun at the expense of other people, just laughing at them. Yeah. I don't know, it's but, fun to read. So. <laughs> I feel like what, what he really wants to know is if she would be happy to just talk to anyone or if she really <laughs> would be happy with the one she's with. And um, she says she doesn't know anyone, so she can't talk to anyone. <laughs> and even if she could, she wouldn't want to. And he likes that reply. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then he's talking about how she should be tired after six weeks of, at Bath, and she can't really understand that because she's still having a great time. <laughs> Bath isn't boring to her at all because um, nothing could have more sameness than the the normal where she her normal country life. <laughs> um, he says in Bath she must be in search of am- amusement all day long, and <laughs> she says. That's how I am at home, too. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, there's just not as much to be found. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's boring. And again, Tilney is just delighted by her. He's amused by her. And uh, is glad that in the future, they'll have plenty, she will have plenty to talk about when she gets back because she'll be able to talk about Bath. And um, I think he really likes her in this part. You can tell that he likes her. He's mm-hmm. flirting with her big time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then someone is staring at Catherine, a commanding yet older, but still vigorous older gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> and the man speaks with Henry, and Henry comes back and is like, oh, you should know who this is. It's my father, General Tilney. And Catherine says, oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And she's impressed by how handsome the whole family is. <laughs> and Miss Tilney invites Catherine to go on a country walk with her and Henry. And Catherine is super excited and wants <laughs> to go tomorrow. <laughs> she's like, yes, let's go do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so they make a plan for 12 o'clock. And um, she barely saw Isabella the whole evening. And then she left early, which she was perfectly content to do. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's chapter 10. Did you guys have anything else fun to add for chapter 10? Um, in my uh, annotated um, copy, there's um, when they're doing the dance, 
there's like a picture, like a di, I guess like a diagram of the dance, and it's like, like I say, mark where they start and where they're supposed to go with capital and lowercase letters, and it looks like the most confusing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh. and it gives like, like um, almost like a a guide to like the ladies start at A through H and whatever, and then they cross over to the lowercase A, but then back to the K. It's just so confusing. <laughs> Seriously, like, can you imagine? You have to probably know at least like twenty dances, right? Twelve, yeah, twelve, ten. You have to know thirty, like twelve, thirty-minute dances that are like super intricate line dances. <laughs> it just seems like I guess there's a lot less to do back then than there is now, especially if you were rich. So maybe we need to like start a Zoom class where we all learn some sort of <laughs> dance, old dance during this time period where we're all sequestered. <laughs> Austin dance classes. We got plenty of time on our hands. <laughs> yep. Uh, we'll learn the uh, Cook's Waltz, or I can't remember what any of them are called. <laughs> this one didn't even have a name, it just said line, it's just like a line dance. Yeah. But it looks crazy. <laughs> okay, so chapter 11. It's a dreary morning, um, which is making Catherine do some mental gymnastics to assure herself yeah. that it is going to be clear by the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, don't you think so, oh, Mr. Allen? Allen? And he's like, I, I don't know. But Mrs. Allen is willing to say, yeah, of course, it's going to clear up. Don't worry. <laughs> and um, then it starts to rain. And Mrs. Allen thinks it's going to be too dirty. And this is one of my favorite lines. Catherine says, I never mind dirt. And Mrs. Allen goes, no, I know you never mind dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me love Mrs. Allen, you know? <laughs> me too. A line that I laughed at was like, when it starts raining and she goes, no walk for me today, sighed Catherine. And I like, just pictured her like a 90s like, <laughs> like TV movie just staring out the window. <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So Catherine is checking the time every five minutes. At 12 o'clock, it's still raining. And uh, Catherine has determined that she's going to give up. She's going to give up on this walk. She's not going to sit here and hope all day long. <laughs> and then at 12.30, the sun comes out. Yay. <laughs> but she's still afraid they won't come. And she's looking out the window. And what does she see? But Isabella and her brother and Thorpe driving up an open carriage again. <clears throat> <laughs> A band full of characters. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, second time. I don't want to. Um, so Thorpe busts in and wants Catherine to join them on a drive to Bristol. She says she can't go because she's already engaged. And then Isabella and James come in. And they're trying to convince her to go, too. And they want to go to Clifton for dinner. And then perhaps King's Weston, whatever that is. And then... Uh, or maybe Blaze Castle. And uh, Catherine is very intrigued by this castle. <laughs> she, thinks, she thinks it's like an old ruined castle. But I was listening to Bonnet to Dawn, and they are doing Withinger Abbey right now too, which is crazy that we're both doing it at the same time. Um, but they had someone on who was talking about how Blaze Castle is actually just like a folly. I don't even think you can go in mm -hmm. it. It's like a fake castle. But there's like an actual ruined castle in Bath that was like right there they could have gone to if she really wanted to go to a ruined castle. <laughs> I would say my copy gives to, uh, pictures of Blaze Castle and King's Weston. 
and <laughs> they're like nowhere near castles. They're just like boxy houses, but like <laughs> very large ones. But they're very they're not castle like at all. Yeah, so I looked it up on Wikipedia last night, and so it still stands, right? But it's just like this one circular room with like little mini towers around it, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's all there is to it. Yeah. She would have been so let down, regardless. Yeah. I mean, this whole trip was oh. a let down, but <laughs> <laughs> infuriating. <laughs> so, yeah, Thorpe is saying, "Yeah, it's the oldest ruined castle." Um, <laughs> she says she she's still saying though that she can't go, and she's explaining why until Thorpe just flat out lies to her and tells her that he see he saw the Tilneys driving away in a phaeton <laughs> <laughs> just a few minutes ago, and um. Isabella's joining in and trying to convince her. And then they enlist Mrs. Allen to convince her, which she does. And Catherine is, like, super conflicted because she's disappointed. She thinks that the Tilneys blew her off, but she's really excited to see a castle. So (laughs) they finally convince her, and they drive off. And as they're, like, driving out of the city, um, Thorpe is like, who's that lady staring at you? And Catherine turns around and sees... That it is the Tilneys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. And she immediately starts saying, stop, 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 let me out, let me out, let me out. <laughs> but Thorpe literally just laughs in her face and speaks. Gross. And she is pretty much yelling at him for a while after that. <laughs> she says <laughs> she'd rather get out now and walk back. And um, then they sit in broody silence. <laughs> For the rest of the <laughs> and still in the back of her mind, she's still somewhat a little tiny bit excited about seeing this castle. Um, <laughs> and she's like imagining it being very dark and spooky, <laughs> which we know it's not. Um, nope. So they get about halfway to the place they're going when, or yeah, I think from what I read, it was like halfway, you know, where they were going to eat dinner. Uh, before moving on and James stops them saying it's too late to go on and Thorpe is like fine and they all turn around <laughs> um, and Catherine is just yeah what you're gonna say <laughs> just say it's the horse's fault for going so slow <laughs> his famously fast horse um so Catherine is just no longer putting up with Thorpe's rudeness um she Defends her brother not having his own carriage. Um, this is a lot different than the first time where she was trying to be nice the whole time. <laughs> She's just like, <laughs> no, I don't like you at all. <laughs> um, he seeming to imply that James has plenty of money, but um, Catherine does not even endeavor to understand him. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment on top of disappointment. Um, she doesn't barely speak the rest of the way so when she gets home she learns that the Tilneys came by and she also learns that Mr. Allen did not approve of this drive at all (laughs) and he's glad that her brother made them turn around and she's just like this was the worst day of my entire life (laughs) (laughs) and then that night they're forced to go to dinner at the Thorpes and um Isabella's just like I'm so glad we didn't go out dancing and flirts with James and Catherine is really starting to get annoyed with Isabella too because it seems like she doesn't care about 
her and her problems, the fact that she was supposed to go to the Jelanese and they captured her and they went on this thing and she had no choice. And Isabella's just like, I don't care. I want to talk about James. <laughs> like everyone and, is so self-absorbed with each other and their own <laughs> interests that oh my God, no one, like no one can understand that no one likes John Thorpe. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I was thinking about that because I was thinking about how Isabella and her mom are like still like, oh, ha ha ha. But you know, with their father dead, he's probably the only one who can support them. So they probably have to stay on his good side. Probably. Hmm. Yeah. So they just, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I can't, I can't think of it. <laughs> Welcome back. Maybe. <laughs> just gonna start losing words during this quarantine um so that night like Catherine goes home she can't sleep <laughs> the narrator thinks it would be lucky if she got a good night's rest for the next three months because she's crying <laughs> into her pillow <laughs> but we know Catherine is a sleeper <laughs> there's no way <laughs> she probably she's a true heroine now she can't yeah, get a good night's sleep now because she's a true heroine exactly yeah now that she's really had to do some I guess she got kidnapped. That's, that's probably a yeah. gothic theme right there. That's true. Um, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So chapter 12. Oh, I just wanted yeah. to say real quick. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Allen's so funny and she's so sweet, but she's a terrible chaperone. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah. She never tells Catherine no. She never helps her make up her mind. She's just like, go if you want. Sure. She knows that she should probably stay and Catherine herself yeah. knows she should stay afterwards but it's like yeah. oh come on woman you're supposed to be watching out for this girl don't let her <laughs> drive off of Thorpe again yeah. there's like no guidance whatsoever <laughs> Seriously, honestly she would have been the best chaperone in my opinion so I've been like <laughs> I'm just gonna go on this care drive with Ellen <laughs> <laughs> be back tomorrow <laughs> oh and um, the other thing was um I was thinking when I was reading the part about where Catherine was uh, imagining what Blaze Castle was going to be like, and there were going to be all these, you know, like locked rooms and and all that kind of stuff. I remember when I was her age, and we would go up to like Fort Clint or uh-huh. like over to Cumberland Island, and they have the ruins over there. And I would uh-huh. like do exactly the same thing and be like, "Oh, this is so mysterious." <laughs> I don't know if you guys did that, but. <laughs> Oh my god, any ports and stuff, yeah. Yeah. I mean, personally, whenever I go to any national park, I'm always like imagining what if I lived here like back in the time before the you know civilization? (laughs) Like I make up whole stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. And they're all like Blaze Castle, really. (laughs) Yeah, I have fox friends. (laughs) 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 Okay. Um, all right. Chapter 12. So Catherine asked Mrs. Allen if she can go and check in on Miss Tony to explain herself. And first she has to go to the pump room to get the address, which is just like an interesting little tidbit, I think, um, that you can just find out where anybody lives. (laughs) Just go to the pump room. (laughs) And then she sets off keeping her eyes down so she won't have to see Isabella if she's out and about. (laughs) She only gets stopped by her. So she goes to their house. And she's told that Miss Tilney has already left. 
but she doesn't quite believe it. And when she looks back, once she's down the street, she sees her leaving with her father and she's, she's hurt, but she blames herself. Um, you know, she can't bring herself to be mad about it. (laughs) (laughs) She almost feels so bad that she wants to skip the theater that night, but then again, she really wanted to see that play. <laughs> I love Catherine. She's like, oh, I'm so upset, but I, you know, go to that thing. <laughs> Not going to miss the play. Yeah. Unfortunately, as she's sitting there, she doesn't see the Tilneys. Or maybe fortunately, she doesn't know. Um, and then at the beginning of the fifth act, fifth Jesus. act, firstly, <laughs> I'm always like, a play should be an hour and a half, and no longer. <laughs> <laughs> Two acts, those. Um, and then she sees Mr. Tilney and some box across the way, and he's with his father, and she cannot stop staring at him, but he doesn't notice <laughs> for two whole scenes, he doesn't look away from the stage. And when he sees her, he bows, but he does not smile, which... Mm. Not yeah, he has feelings for her because he would not be upset that she blew him off if he didn't. <laughs> um, then he turns back to the play, but instead of feeling resentful again, she feels ashamed because Catherine is just the best sort of girl, you know? <laughs> she doesn't project her feeling bad onto other people to try to make it their fault in some way. <laughs> She's a good person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a few minutes after the act ends, Mr. Tilney comes over. He talks with Mrs. Allen, his favorite. <laughs> and then he talks to Catherine. And she tries to reassure him that she would have much rather been with him, that she was basically kidnapped. And he um, thanks, then um, Tilney thanks her for wishing him a pleasant walk by looking back towards them. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine the expression on her face when she realized that, you know, she was, that they were right there on the street and she turned around. It was probably like, huh? <laughs> 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 and Henry, I'm sure Henry figured that. But um, she says, oh yeah, she says if she could have um, gotten Thorpe to actually stop the carriage, she would have run after them. <laughs> <laughs> And this is enough to flatter Henry, um, to, enough to forgive her. And but she still thinks Mrs. Til- Miss Miss Tilney is mad at her because of you know the incident. But then she finds out that she also was not given a choice in the matter and was forced to go out with her father without giving her any word. So and, like all afternoon, both girls have been like. I feel so bad. I have to go apologize. I feel so bad. I have to go apologize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad those two found each other yeah. because they're, they're a sweet <laughs> friendship. I like Miss yeah. Tilney and Catherine. Yeah. So Catherine wants to know why Henry was so ready to take offense when his sister wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't answer. But he does sit down and watch the rest of the play with her. So I think that's answer enough. Um, (laughs) so they make a plan to try to walk again tomorrow and Catherine is the happiest creature in the world (laughs) (laughs) and she sees John Thorpe talking to General Tilney and Catherine is a little surprised when it seems like they're talking about her Mm. and um, Henry doesn't know how they know each other so Thorpe after the play says he met the general at the Bedford and beat him at billiards (laughs) 
That's a Bedford, not Billiards. <laughs> <laughs> Say that three times fast. Yeah. I don't know if I can. Um, <laughs> so, um, Thorpe is saying that the general thought that Catherine was the finest girl in Bath. Mm-hmm. And um, Thorpe agrees and won't stop flattering her, even though she really doesn't want him to. <laughs> and I wrote, Thorpe is gross. I think there's, um, I can't remember what the line was, but the way my audiobook reader read something where he's like, I I couldn't agree more or something about her being the French <laughs> girl in England. I was like, ugh, Thorpe is so gross. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but now she's super excited that the general um, likes her because she pretty much assumed that he didn't. Yeah. But that's the end of the chapter. It's a short one. <laughs> I would say it was only like four pages. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have a favorite moment? Um, favorite moment. I have to think. Do you have one ready? <laughs> yeah, my favorite um moment is when Mrs. Alice says, "What?" When she's like, "I don't mind the dirt," and Mrs. Allen is like, "I know you don't, little little <laughs> Catherine. I'm perfectly aware of your dirtiness." <laughs> um. I would say I think my favorite part was when they're at the theater and they're in their boxes and she sees that he's in the other box and he finally like bows to her but then she like reads way too much into it and he's she was like he's not smiling he must hate me like that was like, her a little immediate... annoyed with her <laughs> yeah but like it was like this immediate thing where she was like I guess I'll be alone forever <laughs> he won't love me I love it <laughs> Um, I love how how Catherine is just such a sweetheart through this whole scene. This whole um, not scene, a uh, couple of chapters. Um, but the I guess the part that uh, made me laugh the most uh, is where we kind of hear the narrator again. Um, although it's Henry that's talking, but it sounds like the narrator to me because it's so snarky. Because it's where um. Henry is saying, you ought to be tired of bath at the end of six weeks to Catherine when they're dancing. <laughs> and um, she sa- he says, bath compared with London has little variety, and so everybody finds out every year. For six weeks, the quotation, for six weeks I allow bath is pleasant enough, but beyond that, it is the most tiresome place in the world. You would be told <laughs> so by people of all descriptions who come regularly every winter, lengthen their six weeks into 10 or 12, and go away at last because they can afford to stay no longer. I love that. <laughs> like, uh, sounds like the narrator again. Yeah, yeah. I like Henry. I feel like he's super aware, but he's not mean and he's not mm-hmm. selfish. I feel like he's just generally like, I mean, he's a, um, a clergyman. So, you know, he's got to know how to connect with people. Um, yeah. Right. But I think he's genuinely delighted with Catherine. And I would say my other favorite moments are any time that you can kind of see that he is already kind of fucked for her. <laughs> so for the deep dive, let's see what I wrote. <laughs> well, okay, I did Mrs. Allen, but I didn't... There's not really that much on Mrs. Allen. I feel like besides that she doesn't have children and that she's married to Mr. Allen, there's just not, and she likes clothes. There's not a lot about her. I guess she went to school, 
we know that. Oh, yeah. um, she um, off, she's often a foil to herself because like one minute she'll be kind of shrewd and picking up on facial expressions and subtle remarks. And then next she won't seem to understand any of it. <laughs> so <laughs> but that's all I really got about her. I actually did the deep dive on Gothic novels because I figured, Okay. <laughs> I think we start talking about them less as the no- as this novel goes on. We stop talking about them. So I figured we might as well get it in here at the beginning. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see what I wrote. <laughs> So it's a genre that com- of literature that combines horror, death, and at times romance. And it's considered an extension of the romantic literary movement. Gothic fiction placed an emphasis on both emotion and a pleasurable kind of terror, like a spine-tingling. <laughs> <laughs> the most common of these pleasures was the sublime, an indescribable feeling that takes us beyond ourselves. So, you know, the first real escapism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, um, just to, maybe you have this in here. So if you do, tell me and I'll stop talking. Oh, no. But, um, this, so the sublime, um, this is kind of a little bit of what I did in my dissertation, just a little bit. Um, uh-huh. It was a new aesthetic approach. So, like, what was really popular and considered beautiful before kind of the romantic writers like Byron and Shelley and all of them before Uh that um, what was considered beautiful, especially in landscape and stuff was things that were very neat and orderly and pretty and flower beds and, you know, like enclosed gardens way back when and, and things like that. And then you kind of get this idea of the sublime, which is um, the pleasure, like you said, the pleasure that you get from things that are kind of over the top. So you'll see a lot of landscapes, like landscape paintings and stuff from the time, um, which have like huge mountains and waterfalls, as opposed to real pretty little landscapes. It's supposed to look Uh and feel sort of not tame, very wild. And yeah, so they have it in the water. Reminds me of like a more of a Marianne, like a a wild. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. I'm really, I've always been really interested in like, that whole romanticism and how it kind of moved into, you know, other expressions of it. Okay, so this actually, um, the first novel that's attributed of being a gothic novel is The Castle of Otranto, the one you were telling us about in the first episode by Horace Walpole. It was written in 1764. And he said that his aim in writing the novel was to combine elements of medieval romance uh, which he thought was too fanciful, and the modern novel, which was he considered to be too confined to strict realism. So he was like kind of really trying to blend the two. And the basic plot of that novel created many of the other st- staple Gothic traits, including threatening mysteries, ancestral curses, as well as lots of hidden passages and often fainting heroines. <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly, he published it. When he published it, he said it was a a book he had found, that it was an old medieval romance from Italy that he had discovered and republished. <laughs> and um, originally when he did that, it got like a huge favorable reception and people, critics loved it. But then when he did a second printing and admitted that it was him, all the critics were like, 
this is trash. <laughs> <laughs> and they said it was tawdry and a debased kind of writing. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, people do not like to be tricked. Never. <laughs> not back then and not now. So in 1778, Clara Reeve wrote The Old English Baron, which she based off of the castle of Anch. Otranto. <laughs> I always want to add extra letters in there. And she updated the fantastic elements, like the supernatural bits, and um, she didn't write, she wrote out the silliness and the humor. So it kept the gothic more in like the realm of the probable, like something that could mm -hmm. actually happen. So yeah, she added to the spookiness, but made it more realistic at the same time. And then, of course, Anne Radcliffe and she developed a technique of the explained supernatural so that every so that all the supernatural intrusions could eventually be traced back to natural causes so uh -huh. yeah which i feel like is really something we still do to this day a lot for supernatural stuff um, oh yeah her success attracted many imitators all of her novels were bestsellers but particularly mm -hmm. the mysteries of udolfo and she also inspired the idea of gothic feminism, which she expressed through the idea of female power um, through pretend or staged weakness. So I guess that was a big thing for her. Also, France and Germany had their own forms of gothic novel, but they were more horrific and violent than the English ones. So Monk, the one that um, Thorpe supposedly read, which I don't believe, <laughs> by Matthew Lewis... <laughs> It was English, but it featured um, like depraved monks and sadistic inquisitors and spectral yeah. nuns, and it became the first English Gothic novel to become popular continentally. It was the the monk was also influenced by Anne Radcliffe's last novel, The Italian, which I think was also on that list of books they were going to read. Mm -hmm. And then also the, the Marquis de Sade also used a Gothic framework for some of his fiction around the turn of the century. <laughs> Of what the continental stuff looked like. Yeah, I guess it was a lot more um, <laughs> gay. <laughs> they probably didn't have all the um, laws about what you could and couldn't print. I was also noticing, I feel like Thorpe was swearing a lot more. Like, I thought it was just going to be the one incident, but he says damn all the time. Yeah, it's like a permanent fixture in his vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. So um, here are just some of the elements that are in a lot of Gothic fiction. We got virginal maidens. We got an older foolish woman. We have mm. heroes, obviously. Predatory males. Bandits and clergymen. They're usually set in a castle, abbey, or monastery. So we got all the main <laughs> elements. <laughs> check, check, check. So okay. you know, in, did you know that in Bath, the big church there is an abbey? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah Bath know. Abbey. And it's like right next to the pump rooms and all that stuff. And I'm sure she went every Sundays. She could have just been like, I'm in an Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured as for sorting Mrs. Allen, um, for astrology, I think, I think maybe a Pisces. That Pisces is a mutable water sign. And so they're like real go with the flow. And they always said <laughs> to have their head in the clouds. They can be totally clueless about what's going on around them, but also have a strong empathetic, or psychic nature, which allows them to pick up on subtle clues when they're paying attention. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that sounds just like Miss Ellen. 
Sometimes uh, they can, yeah. it's like, whoa, where did that come from? How did you know that? It's like, oh, because you're just never paying attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and for Harry Potter, I mean, I said Hufflepuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what I would think. Yeah. I mean, Poor she's Hufflepuff. just... <laughs> I feel like the Harry Potter ones, there's so much less subtlety between them. Like, you got the four and... Yeah, two yeah, of them are interesting and two of them are like you're smart and you're dependable and that's like your only characteristic <laughs> <laughs> okay so last thing would be recommendations right do you have one or do you want me to go first um i mean i have one it's not a thing no <laughs> my my recommendation in these times when we're all you know worrying and you know everyone's mentally uh, on edge i have found myself just wanting to go outside all the time and just you know listen to the birds chirping or really feel that my feet in the grass and i just say Go outside and just, you know, breathe in the air and connect a little to what's going on because there's still beauty out there in the world. <laughs> you can find your little <laughs> small patch of it and enjoy it. Watch some clouds. <laughs> <laughs> and stop and enjoy nature. Let now your mind you don't have there. anywhere to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Force sabbatical on us all. It's only a matter of time. Uh, did you guys have any other recommendations? I know people are looking for things to occupy their time. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Kristen. Um, so when I took the Jane Austen class at US, um, sort of the ex- what I'm looking for excuse excuse for giving the class in the first place was to talk about Jane Austen and her readers or different writers who write similarly to her mm-hmm. in some ways, and. So my recommendation is one of those writers, especially for people who like detective fiction. Uh, So obviously it's a good time to be reading if you like to read. Yeah. Um, And so I wanted to recommend Dorothy L. Sayer. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read her before. I haven't. um, Me neither. So she is called one of the, quote, queens of crime. So she's one of the four main female authors of the golden age of crime fiction. So a contemporary of Agatha Christie huh. and Mar- oh. Marjorie Allingham and, and Niall Marsh. Um, Dorothy L. Sayers, her books, they have a lot of other stuff going on as well as just the mystery. So they tend to be a lot bigger than the Agatha Christie work. Cool. Anyway, she has a, a main um, sleuth. That's the word I'm looking for. A main sleuth, uh, Peter Whimsey. But about halfway through the run of novels, um, he falls in love with uh, a woman uh, who's a crime fiction writer. So she's a, a writer, Oxford-educated crime novelist. And um, the two of them together, I think, are what a lot of people love about her stories, is they work a lot in partnership. And um, their interaction is very, in some ways, very Henry Tilney and Catherine, or actually what they're really like is Emma and Mr. Knightley. They're the ones oh. they But yeah, they're most like, in the, in the Um, so highly recommend 
detective fiction is, for me anyway, comforting reading. And the first novel is called Whose Body? Whose Body? And the body? first novel with, yeah, the first novel with Harriet Vane is called um, Strong Poison. So that's got the both of them in there. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I'm definitely. Been, yeah, they're, they're very good. So I love them. I was just trying to get my audible books for the month and um, mm-hmm. I was noticing my wish list was like, I've looked at all these books a million times. I need some new stuff for this list. So I'm going to put that on there <laughs> maybe, like, you know, for this next month. <laughs> yeah. Well, Whose Body is on LibriVox for free. So oh, that one's got a copyright. So you can get that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, go ahead, Christian. Did you have um, a recommendation? Yes, I have two recommendations. Um, oh. The first one is going to be a music one. It's um, It just came out, I think, Friday. Um, but it's an album called Colores by J Balvin, who is a Colombian reggaeton uh, rapper, kind of. I think um, I just was, he, I was just watching Jimmy Fallon's at mm-hmm. home. I think he called in to him about that album. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah, he, yes. he's he been on um, Jimmy Fallon a bunch, and they're like, they always like riff back and forth. Like, they're really funny. But his album just came out, and it's it's really, really good. I did not expect it to be that good. Um, and it's, I find it helpful because I'm not 100% fluent. My parents never taught me Spanish, which is uh, something I will never let them uh, get over. But <laughs> Uh, it helps me definitely with my Spanish and get used to hearing it because I don't talk to anyone about that. Like, I don't oh, speak well, Spanish to anyone. You know, I've done Duolingo a million times, and I'm always like, that's always my problem because I'm like, I don't know who to talk to. So we should talk and we should practice on each other. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, but it's really good. <laughs> so we have nothing else to do. But it's really good. Uh, my two favorite. Uh, tracks on it are uh, Blanco and Arco Iris. Uh, Blanco is white and Arco Iris is Spanish for rainbow. So it's a very good album. I recommend it. And my second recommendation is going to be a Hulu documentary series called The Most Dangerous Animal of All. And it's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it is about a human. Um, it is a documentary series about this guy who was given up for adoption, was adopted, and then was looking for his birth parents and learned more about them and has this claim that his dad might be the Zodiac Killer. Oh. And it's just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting. He, like, puts his evidence forth and they talk to his mom and his birth mother and they talk to all these people and um, it's just really interesting and it's one of those ones where it just takes you on a roller coaster, like up and down. Like you never know, is it real? At one point, you're thinking, okay, he's definitely the killer. And then at the next point, you're like, okay, so he's not the killer. And it's just one of those super interesting. Um, I think there there was a book at one point. Um, I'm not sure if it's been pulled off the shelf, which is part of the series. I won't go too much into it. Oh, <laughs> but it's really short. I think it's like three or four episodes. It's a really oh. interesting watch. What was it called again? Uh, the most dangerous animal of all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say um, Emma came out. You can actually right. watch it at home. It costs $20, though. Um, 
So I was, I'm waiting until I know I can like sit down and watch it multiple times over whatever period they give me. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's only going to be the ones that, because I already pre-ordered it, so that'd be yeah. like forty bucks to watch them. Um, I mean, I really want to see it. I'm definitely excited to to watch it, but I got to make sure Me I have too. the whole day to watch it several times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I was also wondering. I mean, if any of you guys have any ideas um, for ways that we can like maybe interact with you more during this time if you guys want to do some sort of a twitter watch along or a zoom meetup oh yeah because cool. like we don't have like a ton of people who listen but i know we have at least like 40 regular people who <laughs> listen to us so if you guys want right. to have like a david lynch or jane austen or a david lynch and jane austen night or something <laughs> um let us That'd know if you have any ideas because yeah, I'm I'm here all alone, and I'm gonna go crazy if I don't have more social interaction. So, uh, um, yeah. So I'd love to have any of the people who listen to this podcast. I know we all know we have something in common, guys. <laughs> so yeah, exactly, I think it'd be so much fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. So if you want to contact us, um, you can do that. Yeah. Go ahead, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I can start. Um, you know our, G- our Gmail is managedmadness at gmail.com. Our mm-hmm. Twitter is at managedmadness. Our Instagram yep. is at managedmadnesspod. And our website is at, not at, uh, managedmadness.com. And you can leave us a voice message. Yeah, please leave us a voice message. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, next week we are doing. Twin Peaks episode, episode four. Four, I think yeah. it's yeah, it's four. And our next, oh, hold on, our next chapters are thirteen through fifteen. Yeah, thirteen right. through fifteen. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I think after that we'll probably have a check-in. So, yeah, that might yeah. be a great time to include all of you guys. So please, um, <laughs> yeah, we're all bored. <laughs> I'll read anything you want to write. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess um, that's it for today. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you, Kristen. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Kristen, did you. <laughs> that is the worst. Did you want Did you want to tell people how they can um, follow you or anything? Or do you do? I mean, you're not really. No, I don't do any of that stuff. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But you'll be back next week. We're going to have you for this whole thing, hopefully, as much as you can. Cool. So Yeah, this yeah. is fun. <laughs> yeah, and um, also, um, if you're not already listening to Bonnet to Dawn, and I would say oh, wait, maybe wait a little yeah. while for this book, because if you're reading along with us, just because they are way ahead of us, <laughs> they're going way faster than we are. But, um, yeah, listen to them, because they've always got a lot of great stuff. I was listening to the Mansfield Park episodes and I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> the best thing about starting a podcast is you get to learn about all the other podcasts are. You missed all this time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So listen about it to done. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, that's it for tonight. So um, yeah. thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Good night. Bye. Yay, we did it!
<laughs> <laughs> right. Stop recording. <laughs>